John chapter number 18. We'll get to the passage in just a moment. I was thinking about this message and thinking about how it applies to my life. And I realized that I didn't grow up here at this church. Many of you uh, didn't know me as I was growing up. Many of you have only gotten to know me in the last maybe five or less years of my life while I was in college and then even as an engaged or married guy now. Uh, there's a few here, like the Holmes. They knew me back in, in Hamilton back when I was young. And so I kind of want to start this message out tonight by giving you a little window into Levi's life as a child. I thought, how, how could I sum up my, my attitude, my action, my temperament, my behavior into one word to describe what I was like as a child? From the best of my memory, of course, but the best that I can think of, the word that comes to mind is just this one word, competitive. Competitive. I feel like my whole childhood could be described by that one word. One word. I hated to lose. My favorite shirt growing up was a shirt that said this, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And that was my life motto. That's what I lived by. Everything in life, I mean, it could have been the silliest little thing. I wanted to come out on top. That's just the way I was wired. That's the way I was. I mean, it could have been a game. I was the kid, some of you are teach Sunday school here in our church, you know what this, this is like. I was a kid who would cry if he didn't get the toy that you know is going to break by the time you make home, make it home. That's, I was that kind of kid. I was going to cry if I didn't win the game in Sunday school. One time, my Sunday school teacher got all mad at me, and I was getting all upset because I wasn't the winning, winning the game. His name was Mr. Johnson. He yelled at me. He said, Tyrrell. I was probably six or seven years old. I looked back at him. I said, Johnson? <laughs> that was competitive. I wanted to win. I still do. I've calmed down, I think, a little bit. But I was a competitive kind of kid. We live in a society that is enamored with success and failure. Specifically failure. The internet is full of hours of content of compilations of people failing. Maybe you've seen them. People falling off of uh, swings or crashing their cars or dirt bikes, you know. And we find such great joy in watching others fail. There's a reason why shows like Wipeout or America's Funniest Home Videos, there's a reason why people like those shows, right? We're, we're sick. We're twisted. <laughs> we don't want to fail, so we take joy in watching others fail, right? That's what it is. And here today in the Bible... I want to look at a story of one of the greatest failures in all the scripture. One of the greatest moments of failure and see what we can learn from it and see how we can apply it to our lives tonight. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, uh, read the passage, pray, and we'll jump into this lesson tonight. I want to learn three lessons from failure tonight. So let's look in John chapter 18. We'll start reading in verse number 15. John 18 and verse 15, the Bible says this. And Simon Peter followed Jesus and, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. And saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Are not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I'm not. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Let's jump down to verse number 25. The Bible says, Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. And they said, therefore, uh, they said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, 
did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. We've been going through on Sunday nights with the teenagers the book of John. We're making it right through towards the end of John chapter 18, only a few more chapters left. We've been studying Jesus' life. We've been studying his ministry. The last few weeks we've been studying uh, his final lessons from the last table. And here tonight we pick up the story in the last few hours of his life. And we jumped into a story that's all too familiar as, as uh, Jesus is praying in the garden with his disciples, we know that uh, the men come to take Jesus, and Peter's there, and it references uh, the fact that he cuts off the soldier's ear. And they're taking Jesus to his death, and Peter's following. And in these next few moments, in these next few verses, we see one of the greatest failures in all the Bible. And that's what I want to look at tonight. I want to learn from it. Three lessons from failure. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into this lesson tonight. Father, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful for what it teaches us and how we can have unity here in this place because of it. I pray, Lord, you help it to come alive to us tonight. Would you help it to speak to our hearts? Would you convict us, Lord? Would you use me? Would you speak through me? Help me to be clear. And Lord, may we leave here being different than when we came, closer to you, changed, resolved to follow you this week. And we'll thank you for it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to start off with a question a first lesson that we could learn from failure, and that's simply the question this, who is a failure? Who is a failure? And we're going to have to define our terms and all give them the same page, and the best I can see from the scripture, the best way I can think to answer it is simply this, everyone. Here we see Peter. Peter is a disciple. Peter is a follower of Jesus. Peter is known to be a leader among the disciples. We could call him the cream of the crop, a leader among leaders. He's a preacher who we know that God gave great power. He's a man that we know walked on water. This is a pretty solid guy. But here in these last few chapters of John, we see another great failure. Almost the same sin, denying, betraying Jesus. Another disciple. But if Peter was the greatest, this guy would be the least. It's a guy you all know well, Judas. The least of the disciples. The betrayer of Christ, the one who gave up Christ for just some pieces of silver. A deceiver, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And yet both men, no matter how different they were, at their lowest points, were altogether failures. You say, well, that's not the most encouraging note to start off on tonight. And you're right. But I find it both humbling and convicting, but also encouraging. Because here's what it means. It means that everyone sitting here under the sound of my voice, including myself, and from my perspective, especially myself, is a failure. But it also means this. We're all in this together. <laughs> There's nobody here who's not been a failure. There's nobody here who's perfect. And so if you're sitting here tonight and you came to church tonight and you're sitting there and you just feel like a failure, my message to you is this. Join the club. <laughs> We're all in this together. Peter, Judas, everyone is a failure. I find it interesting the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, now all these things happened unto them, speaking of the witnesses that have gone before, happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. If you're here tonight and maybe you didn't walk in here feeling like a failure, 
In fact, quite the opposite. You walked in here feeling established. You walked in here feeling like your feet are set on the ground. You know the routine. You walked the walk. You've talked the talk. You've been saved for longer than I've been alive. And if that's your testimony, praise the Lord. But the Bible says, beware. Because if the moment you think that you stand, you're about to fall. Why? Because everybody is a failure. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, growing up, I think we always look at the next stage above us in life. And as a, as a kid, maybe you look at the teenagers. And as a teenager, you look to the adults. And you think, once I reach that level in life, I will no longer be a failure. You think, well, teenagers, maybe you think, well, we got to go to all these youth conferences and all these youth activities and get all this extra preaching because it's the teenagers who fail. They're the ones who haven't got it figured out yet. They're still going through all the life's hard decisions. But once you get to be in big church, right, that's what we call it, big church, well, then you don't fail anymore. I mean, the, you guys are the seasoned, seasoned vets. There's a guy I know at a birthday this week, and he turned 16. And his mom put on Facebook, she asked him, she said, how do you feel? He said, I still feel 12. And spiritually, I found it to be my experience that the older I get, the more established and mature I get, I realize I still feel 12. <laughs> I'm still fighting battles that I fought when I was a teenager. You never reach a point of success. You never reach a point of a pinnacle. You never reach the point where you're past failure. And sometimes I think, adults, if I can encourage you, don't be afraid to show that side to the younger people in our church. Because sometimes I think they think that uh, living the Christian life so successfully as you is something that's unattainable. But if we're all just be real for a second, we're all failures. Let's be real with each other. Let's be honest. We all struggle. And so I understand we want to put forth our best foot and put forth our, our best front. But let's be real. We're all failures. We all struggle. It could be Peter. It could be Judas. It could be me. And it could be you. Everybody is a failure. All right, where do we go from there? Number two, why do we fail? If we're all failures, why do we fail? I think we can see clearly from the scriptures that the reason we fail is just one simple word. It's not going to blow you away tonight. It's not anything you've never heard before. But the reason we all fail is simply because of sin. We all fail because we're sinners. We all fail because we have two natures feasting against each other, fighting against each other, our new nature, our redeemed nature, and our sinful nature. And at the root of every single one of Peter's failures, I believe we can see a sin. And here in John, we see many of Peter's failures, not just the one that we think about when he denies Christ. In John chapter 13, the Bible says this, Jesus is speaking to his disciples at the last supper at the final table. He says, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, will thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto you, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Here I see this failure in Peter's life. Uh, Jesus is saying, hey, here's what I want you to do, my last commandment. Show my love to the world. Be my disciple. Love one another. And Peter's like, hey, before you said that thing, you said something about you're going somewhere. <laughs> I know you said I can't go, but Jesus, anywhere you go, I'm going. I will lay down my life for you. Do you know what he's doing? 
He's struggling because of his pride. His pride. She's saying, Peter, this is what I want you to do. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. I'll go anywhere. There's no disciple that will go as far as I will go. I will lay down my life. And so many times the reason we fail, the reason I fail, is because of our pride. It's just like the verse in Proverbs said, we think we've got it all figured out. We think we can handle it. But we don't. And just like Peter, we sin and that pride causes us to fail. Do you guys have that next slide? We see another sin and another failure in John chapter number 18. The, the story that we just read. It's interesting. The Bible says in verse number 8 of John 18, Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. They the saying might be, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them, which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Then Simon, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then Jesus said unto Peter, Put thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall not I drink it? Here we see another sin in Peter's life. I believe it's a sin of discontentment. Jesus uses that word, the cup, that my father has for me to drink. We've taught this to the teenagers in the last few weeks. The cup is, a, is signifying the will, the will of the Father. He's saying, hey, it's the Father's will that I drink this cup. It's going to be a bitter cup. It's not a, it's not a cup I want to drink. Jesus even said, pray to the Lord, Lord, if it be possible, take this cup from me. But if not so, let thy will be done, not mine. And Peter, though he wants to follow the Lord, he wants to take God's will into his own hands. He's like, Lord, I want to follow you and I love you so much, but if you just didn't have to die, that would be awesome. And so instead, I'm going to cut this guy's ear off and I'm going to fight him off and I can save your life because I want to follow you, but I just don't want it to look like that. I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want my Lord to die. And so many times we do that with the will of God. We want to follow God. We have that desire, but not the way God wants it to be. We want to follow God's will, but not if it's hard like this. Not if it means waiting for him to bring a spouse into our life. Not if it means waiting for him to give us that next job. We want to take God's will into our own hands, just like Peter. And that discontentment in our own lives, it brings forth failure, just like it did for Peter. So maybe tonight there's some pride that's been at the root of your failure. Maybe some discontentment with your stage of life or the will of God for you. Or maybe number three is just disobedience. Disobedience. We see in Matthew chapter number 28, Jesus has died and he's come back to life. And he appears to the disciples and he tells the disciples, hey, go wait for me on the mount. And he's about to uh, ascend and they're supposed to wait for him on the mount. And yet, we're going to pick up the story in our last point in John chapter number 21. If you will turn over there, John chapter number 21. Jesus tells the disciples, hey, wait for me over there in the mount. This is after Peter's denial. He says, hey, wait for me over there. And if you pick up in verse number 1 of John 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples on the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night 
They caught nothing. Peter was supposed to be waiting for the Lord on the mount. But what does he say? I go a-fishing. I go a-fishing. And so many times that failure in our life is because of our blatant disobedience. Knowing what it is God wants us to do. Knowing where it is God wants us to be. And choosing to do what we want to do anyways. And I find it funny that Peter goes back to fishing He goes back to what's comfortable. He goes back to what he knows. He goes back to his previous life, and that's often what we do. And so many times we fail the Lord because of our simple disobedience. And one thing, this is kind of off on a bit of a rabbit's trail, but I feel like I should say it. You notice it in verse number three. He says, I go a fishing. And the disciples, they say unto him, we also go with thee. Can I encourage you with this thought tonight? All of you have influence Peter had influence, and Peter's decision to disobey God's direct command in his life caused others to follow as well. And no, some of you maybe don't think you, there's people watching you, but there are. People are watching. You have a position of influence. God has given you some sort of leadership, some sort of influence. Be careful how you steward it. Because Peter said, I'm going fishing. And the other said, if you're going, we're going too. So we see that The reason that we often fail is because of our sin. Maybe because of pride, maybe because of discontentment, and often because of just blatant disobedience. So we've set the stage. (laughs) We're all failures, every single one of us. And we know we sin, we, we fail because of our sin. But the third question has to be asked, how can we overcome failure? How can we overcome failure? There is a road back from failure. I want you to know that today. I know I wasn't very encouraging off the start, but I need you to know there's a road back from failure. If failure is a roadblock on the road of life, there is a detour to get around it, to get back from it, to get back to where it is God wants us to go. It's been said before that failure isn't final. And I challenge you with that thought tonight. Your failure ought not to be final. Because everyone fails. Because we all have sin. So if we're not going to let our failure be final, how can we possibly do that? How can we overcome our failure? Let's look in chapter number 21. Let's continue to read where we left off in verse number 4 of John chapter 21 and verse number 4. The Bible says this, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, And he did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were, two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net in the land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty-three. And for all there were so many, yet was the net was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. 
And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. So we see this story begin. uh, Jesus comes to the disciples. He meets the disciples, including Peter, where he is. He calls out to them in the boat. He says, hey, have you, have you caught any fish? He says they were fishing all night long. He said, no, we didn't catch anything. He says, hey, toss your nets on the other side of the boat. Does that sound familiar to anybody? He says, toss your nets on the other side of the boat. And they, they toss them over there, and they catch so much they can hardly pull the nets in. As they're doing that, John tells Peter, he's like, hey, I'm pretty sure that's Jesus. Peter grabs his, his overcoat, and he jumps into the water, and he swims back to the shore. The others take a small boat into the shore, and they're, they're dragging the net. Jesus calls them and says, hey, bring the fish. Peter, go get the fish. Bring him here. He's sitting around a fire, and Jesus begins to feed them a meal. And you pick up the, ver- the story in verse 15. The Bible says this. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. On the road back from failure, Jesus asked Peter a simple question. He says, Peter, do you love me? In fact, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the wealth, the security, the familiarity, the career that you were so quick to run back to? Peter, do you love me more than these? He says, yeah, yeah Lord, I, I love you. you. You know I love you. He says, Peter, not just more than these, but, but do, you, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He says, yeah, Lord, you know that I love you. you. You know all things. You know that I love thee. And he asked him one more time, Peter, do you love me? Jesus gives an incredible response back to Peter. He says, Peter, feed my sheep. Here's what he's telling him. If you love me, do what you're supposed to do. I called you to be a fishers of men, not to be a fisherman anymore. I called you into the ministry. I called you into my service. He says, if you love me, what are you doing here? Do what it is I've called you to do. Don't feed your family. You're called to feed my sheep. And here in this conversation, I believe you see Peter being restored, forgiven, and re-enlisted to serve Jesus Christ. And that's what we need when we fail. We need to be restored, forgiven, and re-enlisted to serve Jesus Christ. If I could use one word to describe that whole process, it would be this word. And this is the crux of the message. The word is this, repentance. Repentance. Here I believe we see repentance. Repentance means to turn back from and turn to. Turn away from and turn to. Turn away from sin and Turn to God. In this conversation, Jesus was convicting Peter of his sin. I believe that's why he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Because Peter denied the Lord not one, but two, but three times. Here in the front of all the other disciples, he's bringing forward Peter's sin. He's bringing it back up to light, not to make him feel shame or guilt, but so that he can confess 
and repent. It's amazing to me how similar Peter's reinstatement and repentance looks to Peter's original call. When we first meet Peter, when the Lord first calls Peter, what's Peter doing? Anybody know? He's fishing. He's fishing. He says, hey, lay down your nets. Come and follow me. And I believe that's because this. Salvation is a decision we make to follow God, to give our life to God, to trust him for our hope of eternity. But discipleship is a decision we make every day to lay down our life, to lay down our nets, to cast it aside. The Bible says this. It says, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. So likewise, whosoever he be of you who forsaketh not all he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying, Peter, it's time to reenlist. It's time to commit. It's time to follow after me. It's time to forsake it all. And the question rings out to you and to me tonight. Lovest me more than all of these? So many times when we fail, the first thing we go back to is our sin. <laughs> that which is comfortable, that which is easy, that which is familiar. It's so hard for us to step back out of the boat. It's so hard for us to step back out of our comfort zone, to follow the Lord, to recommit. And he's saying, Peter, do you love me more than this? And follow me. I believe that we as North American, Canadian, 2019 Christians are struggling as a whole because we do not understand this one word, repentance. And I'm saying that with my own life and our church and, and every church. We struggle with this word of repentance. Now, I'm not saying, I don't think, I think you feel sorry for your sin. I know I feel sorry for my sin. Maybe even feel convicted of our sin in a message. Maybe even feel guilty about our sin when we think about it. But do we really know repentance? I even think we're good at confessing our sin, right? Keeping short sin accounts. I even think as a whole, we're probably pretty good at that. See, it's pretty easy to confess our sin, but where I struggle and I'm guessing probably you too is with this area of repentance, right? It's why we make the same decision over and over and over and over again. It's why the same sins take root in our life over and over and over again. Why there's that one sin, that one area, that one failure that doesn't, we just can't seem to get victory over. It's because we just don't understand repentance. Peter felt sorry for his sin. We feel sorry for our sin. Luke teaches us that after Peter denied the Lord, he went out and wept bitterly. But what's the difference? What's the difference between sorrow and repentance? What's the difference between confession and repentance? How can we have victory? The Bible teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Listen to this verse, verse 11. For behold this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourself to be clear, pure, holy in this matter. 
There is a godly sorrow which can work forth repentance in our life, which can cause us to have passion, zeal, a desire to get away from sin, to clear our hearts, to be pure. So how can we take that sorry feeling for our sin and turn it into a godly sorrow which can work forth repentance so that we, in 2019, in St. Thomas, can have victory over our sin? I believe the answer and the key is found in the question that Jesus asks Peter. He does not ask him, Peter, are you sorry for what you did? He does not ask him, Peter, do you feel guilty? Peter, do you feel shameful? Although I'm sure he did. He did not ask him, Peter, will you do it again? He asked him simply this, Peter, do you love me? Believe love is the key that unlocks true repentance. Because when we really realize that there is a God in heaven who loves us and sent his only son to this earth to live a perfect life and die on the cross and take our place on the, on the cross and pay for our sins, and that even though I fail him time and time and time again, and even though there's a sin in my life I've been struggling with for the last 10 years and I've asked for forgiveness for 25 times, and even though I fail him, just like Peter, he comes and meets me where I am. And he comes out to the ship and he says, come and dine. Come and sit with me. Come and dine. And he loves me. And his response that he wants from me is that I would love him too. And when we really realize how much God loves us, and we allow that love, we love him because he first loved us. And when we let that love motivate us to serve him, that's when we'll finally understand repentance. It's not about confessing some sin anymore. It's not about feeling guilty or feeling shame. No, that stuff's all from the devil. You know, what it's, you know what it's about? It's about repenting because there's a God who loves us, who deserves our best, and we love him, and we want to give him our all. That's what repentance is all about. It reminds me again of a story growing up. You know, in most parent dynamics, there's one parent who's feared more than the other, Right? In my house, it's my mom. If you know my mom, you knew I was going to say that, right? In my house, it's my mom. And I love my mom. We have a great relationship. The older you get, you know, the closer you get. I only have three sisters, no brothers. So my dad and I were very close. My dad, I've never really been scared of my dad. We've always been close. had a great relationship. But the one thing I feared more than I ever feared my mom was disappointing my dad. (laughs) Because my dad and I had such a close relationship. And to feel... That disappointment when he would, he wouldn't be mad, but when he'd be disappointed in me, oh, that would burn so much more than my mom getting mad at me a hundred times because it's coming from a different place. It's coming from a place of love. It's coming from a place of relationship. It's coming from a desire that I love him and I want to do my best for him and because I know he loves me. And that's the dynamic we see in between Jesus and Peter. And that's the kind of relationship that God wants with us. We love him because he first loved us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, the Bible says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us, motivates us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The ultimate motivation, the ultimate 
reason, motivation factor that can cause us to have victory, that can cause us to have a major comeback when we have minor setbacks, is when we realize just how much God loves us. The love of Christ constraineth me. And so maybe you're here tonight and you are struggling. Maybe you're struggling. There's a sin that you just can't get victory over. It's got a hold of your life and you've tried, you've confessed, you feel sorry, you feel guilty. You don't want it in your life anymore, but you just can't seem to get victory. Can I remind you that you're not alone? We're all failures. Every man is just a man. Every woman is just a woman. We're all failures. You're not alone. And if you're failing or you're struggling tonight to have victory, man, I challenge you to take a look inside. Because failure always starts with a root of sin somewhere in our life. And so maybe for you it's some pride. Or maybe you've been struggling with pride tonight and you've come in this service tonight thinking, there's no way I could ever fail. I challenge you to get rid of that attitude, to be careful to walk diligently, walk carefully, circumspectly, the Bible says. If you're struggling, look inside and say, maybe there's some pride in your heart that's been causing a failure. Maybe there's some disobedience. or Maybe there's some discontentment. Wanting to take the will of God into our own hands. And would you repent from that tonight? And lastly, if I could challenge you with this, would you just remember tonight that God loves you, that Jesus loves you, and let him be your motivation Every other motivation, every other driving force will simply fall short. We'll never experience true repentance until we just finally realize that God loves us and we want to love him too. Jesus simply says to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me more than this? Feed my sheep. My my challenge to you tonight is do you love him? Do you love him? If you do, You'll love him more than anything else in your world. Any relationship, any job, any career, any finances, any stability, any familiarity. You'll love him more than your comfort zone. You'll love him so much you'll be wanting to serve him. I love that this is not the last time we see Peter in the Bible. It's not. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, chapter 2, we see when the Holy Spirit comes down to the believers for the first time and there's the day of Pentecost, who's preaching? Peter. Why? Because we serve a God of second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth chances. And so it doesn't matter how down and out you feel tonight. It doesn't matter if you came in here feeling like a failure. It doesn't matter if you've been struggling with the same sin. We all are, but we can have victory through Christ. God's church, this church, ought to be built with, filled with a bunch of failures, a bunch of sinners who are just so in love with a God who loves us, and we master repentance. That's what we ought to be. We're nothing but a bunch of failures. I'm nothing but a failure. But God uses failures in a great way. So I challenge you tonight. Your failure doesn't have to be final. It's not the end of your story. Everyone's a failure. Get the sin out of your heart. Fall in love with God all over again, and let him motivate you to turn from it, and you'll be amazed to see what God could use you to do, just like he used Peter.